as quickly as things go bad, they can go good. Not to get too biblical on you, but you know, God's going to give you what you can take, man. Never more. And, and you can't lose sight of that. You just got to go like, okay, I'm being tested. Everything I did was for a reason. One of the great joys of my life has been building Fort Capital, something that I have loved for a long time. One of the best parts about it is building it with our incredibly talented team across three offices, Fort Worth, Dallas, and Houston, and our team abroad. We've built an incredible enterprise focused around a mission of being the best real estate operator in the world. We really believe the better that we get at operating, the better that we get at investing. We've built some incredible technology that gives us the ability to see data that others can't and operate our company as efficiently as possible and deliver better customer service to our tenants and really everybody involved. If you want to know more about our thesis, I encourage you to go to our website, fortcapitallp.com, where we talk about why we've been investing in Class B industrial real estate since 2016, hyper-focused on it. You can learn how you can help us find deals, more about our technology and, and how we think about it. You can see job openings. Highly encourage you to check out our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn. And you can do all of this by going to fortcapitallp.com. Welcome to the show, boss man. <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate it. I love being here. It's a pleasure to have you here. I have enjoyed following you. I spent two hours, actually about three hours last night, digging deep okay. on, on Gas Man Guy, or okay. Gas Biz Guy. And you have a phenomenal story, which I want to start with. How do you even get into the gas station business? So I got into it. My whole family is in the business. My dad was in the business. I had three uncles in the business. And so it was just a family business. So I, I worked on the full service island with my, with my brother. My, my, my mom worked there. My stepmom worked there after my parents got divorced. And my sister even worked there for a little while. So we all worked there. It was a family business. Okay. And did the whole family wake up and go to the gas station and have their own role? No, I actually thought it was, it, so my mom, my mother, and then my stepmother ended up, they were bookkeepers. My yep. dad managed the place. Okay. My brother was a full-serve gas attendant, and I was a full-serve gas attendant. But okay. my brother worked the mornings. Okay. And then I worked the evenings. So I, my shift was 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Okay. And I think this is a critical part of your story. In, in ninth grade, you decided, I'm going to move forward with my life in a, yeah. in a way that mm -hmm. you saw fit. Right. Most people don't do that. What happened? Yeah, I did. I was, I didn't take instruction well. Yeah. Okay. I, did, I, I don't either. Yeah. I didn't, I did, I didn't understand why I was there. I didn't see the value in it. And I, my goal in life was I just really wanted to run a gas station. So I was really? like, what? Yeah. I, I loved it. I well, loved it. What did it. you love about it? We just had a lot of pride in it. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it was. We had an in town gas station. We had a lot of, I had just had so much pride and I just thought it, it was just fun. I loved the people. Yeah. I loved being around the cars. I loved, it was just very, I don't know, it was a very alive business. Yeah. You know, like we had all these great people coming in and we had anywhere from the mayor to the gold club was, was across the street, which was a, a famous strip club that, you know, was run by mobsters and got taken down. So it was, it was just a lot of fun. I don't know what it was about it, but it was just like, it was just me. It's kind of like a staple in American society or mm -hmm. gas stations. It is. Like I when I think of any place that we go in America, 
pretty much no matter where you go, a gas station is going to be part of your trip. It has to be. Right. All right. Real quick on ninth grade. Were you telling people in ninth grade, like, this isn't for me? Because I think that's a super unique thing to kind of know this isn't for me and start going into it. Or was this just something you I was were struggling inside? I was struggling to get the concepts. Yeah. It was one thing I cannot, I, to this day, uh, one of the things I do and it is I can read something and I can read it again the next day and okay. feel like it's brand new information. Yeah. So like I, can, I have some sort of a learning disability. I don't know what it is. And so it was, they were concepts that I couldn't, I, I just couldn't grasp. And I didn't understand the value of doing them. Yeah. No one could ever understand, you know, I couldn't, no one could ever explain to me why I was doing these things. And I'm one of these guys that if I don't understand why I'm doing it, I don't want to do it. Now that I'm at this point in life and look, I was afforded a great education, but I actually look back and I'm like, none of the shit I really learned in college or in high school, I've really ever thought about again. Calculus, pre-calculus, geometry, mm -hmm. all these things that we studied really hard for, they don't seem to like show up later in life. I think there's a lot of value in it. And one of the things that I don't want people to ever get away from them is I've done fine in life. Yeah. But what could I have been? For sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, what what could I have been? Yeah. You know, could I have gone on to do, you know, lead, you know, something bigger? Could you have been the president of Coca-Cola? You know, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll never still, know. You still have a lot of time. Well, tell you, I'm running out of tread. You are. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best we're starting to show. All right. So you fall in love with the gas station business. Tell us the story of when it started for you. Because you had a family business, but then you kind of started. So what happened is that the away. story is if you if you go back. So I, I was working. So my brother and I were both working at the store, and okay. then my dad owned it. And then we had two managers: one over at the gas station, over the convenience store, and then we had one who was overseeing the auto repair shop. So we had two different things going on. And I'm very, I'm very much a protector. Okay. okay. Like if there's, if there's most things don't get to me, the only thing that ever gets to me is if I see somebody who can't defend themselves, mm. I'll be the one who kind of runs to their aid. Like yep. that's me. Okay. And so that's the only, like if I see, uh, you know, kids getting picked on or something like that, that's the only thing that gets to me. And so, and, and I love my brother. I love my family. Like, like everybody, I love them deeply. And I was out of town, my friends. And while I was out of town, my brother got in trouble with my dad and the manager, okay, uh, who was our boss, our immediate boss was the manager. And my dad fired the manager and then he fired my brother. And when I came back, that's when my dad decided he wanted to retire. And so he sold me 25% of the business and my, my partner, Randy, 75%. And that was how old were you then? That was 95. So I would have been 23. Did you know what you were doing at that point or were I had you just no kind clue. of thrown into it? I didn't know how to balance a checkbook. I didn't know how, I, I didn't know how to manage people. I was 23. Okay. So how'd you learn? Just, uh, I job. went through a lot of people. Yeah. We made a lot of terrible decisions, but we did a lot of things right. So it was, I learned on the fly. I mean, there was, but I, if all you knew how to do is add and subtract and do basic English, you could survive in that business, which is a big reason why you have immigrants who come here and run them. What were you doing right? And did you know you were doing right at the time or in I hindsight? I understood my market. Okay. So our market was very, it was heavily Spanish. And so we catered to the people in our market. Yeah. So we were kind of on a fringe store. So it was very high income to one side of the road and the people who lived behind me, it was, it was just all workers, blue collar yep. people. And so I started catering to them. 
And so when we went in there and we started doing things like cashing payroll checks and carrying the items that, uh, that are native to their country, that's when everything really turned. Did you do the lottery? We did the lottery. Yeah. Is the lottery good for business? The lottery is, it's kind of like a necessary evil. Yeah. You don't make a lot of money off of it, but we didn't push it. Yeah. You know, there's some people who really believe it and they push it. For me, it was just kind of like it was, you're already standing there. So if I'm already standing there as a cashier, if somebody walks up and, and bought some lottery tickets, it was just the extra money that you could, it didn't cost you anything to put it in. Yeah. You had no inventory. You're already standing there. So yeah, it was, it, it, you know, I'm indifferent to it. Okay. Let's just talk a little bit about the operations at the gas station. Okay. Is the money made on the gasoline? Is it, or is it made on the interior of the store? Where, where are the pockets of money around a gas station made? So, you know, it's interesting because we have a lot of different business models. Sometimes you have a guy, there's actually a store down the street here who's just a convenience store, no gas. So you mean you came all the way to Fort Worth and you're checking out gas stations? Yeah, man. I was, uh, you know, I was <laughs> on the ride in. I was taking pictures of gas stations and there's a place called Fuel City down here. I was, I was, uh, I was enamored by it. I was like, this place is beautiful. So yeah, I come to, I mean, I, that's all, that's all I do. I've taken this, I'm so passionate about it. But the thing about it is that we did is, I'm sorry, going back onto the, you know, where the money is at. Where's the money? Some stores, you can make a killing on gas. You know, okay. in-town locations where you don't have a lot of competition and you can't get a Kroger or a Costco next to you, yeah. you can make a dollar a gallon. Really? Yeah. Wait, what do the Costco and the Kroger have to do with it? Because they're, they're oh, discounters. Oh, because they're, they're selling gas too. They're, yeah, because they're selling gas and Got they'll it. be discounters and they'll bring the margins down. Yeah. But, you know, national average last year was over 30 cents a gallon. All grades combined, diesel, premium, mid-grade, all combined, it was over 30 cents a gallon. So it's like the best it's ever been. And then inside the store, again, it you know, I get people a lot of times, they say, well, what's the ratio? If I sell this much gas, how much do I do inside? Or do you, it, it, there's no... It just depends on the neighborhood. You may have, uh, like my store, we sold a ton of groceries. We sold a ton of stuff inside the store, but very little gas. My best store. Is there like a menu of stuff that every gas station owner is given to fill their aisles? Because you walk into most gas stations it's and it's stuff. like Flaming Hot Cheetos next to a 30-pack of beer, next yeah. to an energy drink, next to some Pedialyte. Yeah, and I think that's where people got to understand. Like, it, it, We're very commoditized. If, you know, you own a store, you sell Marlboro, I sell Marlboro. You sell Coke, I sell Coke. You have to figure out how to make yourself different. And so there, and it's an open book test right now. And this yeah. is what a lot of the guys who are independents, and I represent the guys who are independent. I don't, I can't speak to the, the big marketers as much. And the big guys have kind of laid the playbook out for you. You've got to have better service. You've got to have better stores. You've got to reinvest in your location because uh, we're all selling the same thing. What's your service like? You know, pricing is important. It's you know probably the most important thing if you were to rate the top five things, but it's getting further and further away from that where people go, hey, I want to have food. I want to have, what other offerings do you have there? Okay. When you walk up to the counter, there's often these like little Debbie cakes with like pineapple banana cream or something crazy. And I always look at them and I'm like, nobody eats this, but they're always here. Yeah. Is it fair to say that if it's in a gas station, it's been market tested, somebody is eating that thing? Well, I mean, it, it, so different markets are going to do different, different things. Yeah. Like we actually have a, a product in Georgia we sell called white dirt and people will eat this. It's called what? White dirt. Okay. okay. <laughs> is they it? will eat. It's just white dirt <laughs> and they will eat that, but it's not going to sell real good in, you know, a metropolitan area. Yeah. You know, so same with your little Debbie snacks. 
you know, you can go to probably in Tuscaloosa, they sell a lot of oatmeal cream pies because of Nick Saban, but you get out to the Pacific Northwest, they probably can't give the things away. So it just depends on your market. Okay. So if you had to describe the perfect gas station site for what you do, mm-hmm. you're not building Bucky's, but maybe we could even, we'll, we'll talk about Bucky's, right. but you do describe the perfect site for you. If you could have, if it checked every box. Yeah. It's going to be in town. Okay. It's going to be high density. So I'm going to, you know, obviously the less competition, the better, but I'm going to be an in-town location. Okay. And, you know, the best locations that I ever had, they were in front of grocery stores that didn't have gas. Okay. And so you had just so much throughput. So metropolitan areas, they reign supreme. So you're going to, because you're going to have all the apartments, you're going to have all the multifamily, and you're going to have, you know, the, if all the cars that are going through there, through the city, okay. yeah, they're killers. And then the the closest gas station from that one would be how far away, or do you even care? You can, you, you, so the general, so if you're in a more metropolitan area, it's going to be a little bit different than if it's in a rural area. Okay. So you're in a rural area, your market may be 10 minutes. Yep. But in a metropolitan, yeah, you can have, I mean, it's what's your density right around you. So yep. you could be, you know, you could have a store right next door. You both do fine. And somebody actually asked this on Twitter. Would you rather have a call it a moderate brand on a corner mm-hmm. or a premium brand not on a corner? I will say this. You could have the sign Bucky's out there, but if you run it poorly, you're not going to do any business. Yeah. So the brand is important, yep. but how you run it is more important. Okay. Okay. So you, it's, you know, brands are, you know, and, and location, I'd rather have the better location. Well, then let's talk about a typical store because you keep talking about service but when i th- when i think about it mm-hmm. i usually roll into a gas station i always park in front of the gas outlet even when i'm not getting gas right i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> that's fighting words <laughs> those are fighting words yeah i start getting gas i walk in there's usually somebody at the cashier i'm kind of left to wander and do my thing i walk up i type in my 7-eleven passcode so i can mm-hmm. get my extra bonus points and I give my card and I'm out. Right. But you keep talking about like great service. I don't actually think about. Yeah, there's a difference. I've never left a gas station and been like, man, that was great service. It's good service. I get what I want. Yeah. Uh, so uh, not to pick on any brand, but there are certain brands that do it really well. Okay. Okay. So if you go to Wawa, okay, which has a cult following. Really? They are known to have the highest per ticket and the quickest off the lot. Okay. So they're going to get you in and out faster than everybody. And they're going to have you spend more money. Now, I don't know that against Bucky's because I haven't seen their numbers, but there is a component to that. So you go into, for example, a quick trip, there'll be one cashier and they'll be working two people at the same time. That's true. And whereas you go into some of the other stores and they just, just next, next, next. And there is a difference. And that is where one place you can shine as a, as an independent because, Hey, Mr. Powers, how are you today? I know what kind of, I know, I I know what you drink. I know what you, if you were to smoke, I would know what you smoked and you call them by name and you make sure the store is clean. And so I would consider service and and include in service would be the presentation just kind of the vibe. And one thing that I've seen some of these independents do, they've gotten really good just anywhere from lighting to music to just different things they can do. So when you walk in the store, you have a vibe more so than just to your point, just a, a story as a commodity where you just have Cheetos and, and Fritos and Little Debbies. And I will say that about Quick Trip. I caveat that because we have a lot of those in DFW. They're a different level. 
And isn't it like fighting words if you call them a gas station? Don't they have some like special lingo for what you know, they call themselves? If they do, I have not heard that. Okay. Okay. But they do it. You know, it, it, funny thing about Quick Trip. Okay. Yeah. So I'm from Atlanta. Yeah. And I was an Exxon guy. And one one way they came in there and just clobbered us, they were buying you uh, closed up Exxon gas stations that they could not work. They redeveloped them and crushed it. Really? Yeah, that's just they just came right in and took locations that we couldn't wait that independents couldn't make work, and they came in, scraped into the ground, put their locations up, and crushed it. What do the big brands, Bucky's, Loves, Quick Trip, like? What have they figured out? Because it seems like from a pure real estate standpoint, Quick Trip's been the most active in DFW, but there were years where it seemed like they were offering on. I mean, the the blitz was on to get these things up. So what's going on at the really high level? Bucky's is now going national. Mm -hmm. Buffett obviously bought Loves, right? right? So what's going on? Well, I mean, first off, the money's never been better. Yeah. Because, you know, it, if you Why? go back, well, I think that because they've been printing a lot of money. Yeah. So if you think about it, you know, your parents, my parents, they would drive clear across town to save one or two cents. Well, yeah. now one or two cents really isn't, it's just, it's not anything. So if, if my margin went from five cents a gallon to 10 cents a gallon, it was just yeah. like people didn't, people don't shop it as hard as they used to. They still shop it, but not like they used to. Yeah. What's the craziest thing you've seen sold in a gas station that makes a lot of money? You know, something, it's not really crazy, but the things that we used to sell, I mean, vapes are huge, but the thing that I sold a ton of <laughs> vapes and energy drinks, that's where it's at right now. Vapes and energy, that's where all the margins at, but phone cards, I was selling, I mean, I was selling phone cards. I was selling like a thousand to $1,500 a day in those things. I will say that I kept the corner, the 7-Eleven at TCU in business. I was crushing those hot dogs on those rollers. <laughs> like, dude, I mean, I used to eat two or three of those a day. And after the bar, the bar was right next door. It's like you went straight to 7-Eleven and started loading up on hot Dude, dogs. this is the best. So in Atlanta, they <laughs> used to have a, a skit. And so we were, again, we were in town Atlanta. We were not, we were not on the fringe. We were right there downtown. And so we had everybody come through there. And one of the skits they used to do, the radio station would call. <laughs> And they would ask, hey, how long have the hot dogs been on the roller? Okay. <laughs> and that was their skit, you know, because it might have been on there for, you know, and you'd always have one of your guys who was the cashier, you know, who he doesn't understand the, the, yeah. the radio skit. And he's like, oh, they've been here, you know, six hours, you know, and so it's like, yeah, it was great, man. How long do they have to be on the roller before you can uh, sell You know, I think the standards have, have gotten increasingly better. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, you know, it was like you'd sit them on there in the morning. I mean, you'd, you'd throw them away at eight o'clock at night, you know, I mean, they were not big sellers. But again, the big guys have figured out how to market them and pre present them and they do a lot their turns good now they sell a lot i haven't had one in a while but towards the end there they were doing like burger dogs which that just looked that I, that's I a hard pass do man. that one man yeah, but some, i'm like somebody's buying this somebody's eating it well somebody even asked me the other day they're like hey what's your what's the best food you ever got out of a gas station i'm like oreos like i mean i'm not <laughs> eating it like I, I you know i i love you guys and i hope you do great i hope and I, i'm sure wawa makes the best sandwich ever man's ever tasted but I'm not getting it. Like I, I want it to get there. I want it to be better, but I'm still, I'm just still not there. Are cigarettes and dip still? Is you said vapes and energy drinks? Is cigarettes and dip dying? Uh, they've gone down, but you know, it's still your your number one category. It is. Yes, yeah, it's, it's usually your number one category. You're going to sell more tobacco than anything. It's low margin, yeah. but you're going to sell a ton of it. I, in college, high school, a good party. I was, I'd smoke a cig. That's how you made a lot of friends. You'd kind of go off to the side. You were the smokers. Yeah. You may, 
I don't know how this younger generation vaping are making friends. I mean, because you're in isolation, you're doing it in your car. You're, yeah. I mean, come on. It was a social thing. And I, I think it's, I, I don't think anybody should smoke. It's not good for you, but it sure was a good way to meet people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I again, I was talking about it the other day. I smoked. I mean, I yeah. did it. And I don't know if I was making any friends by doing it. Yeah. I was making money doing it. Yeah. That's kind of how I got started when you look at the whole story. That's what I did. You know, I, I was, again, working in the city and, you know, you'd have people come up all the time and try to bum a cigarette off of you. And you're like, look, man, like, look, I can't do this anymore. You know, give me a dime. You know, yeah. I know you had a dime. And so they'd give me a dime and I'd give them a cigarette. And I was like, well, this is kind of catching up, you know, but I smoked Marlboro's. Those were premium cigarettes, right? There's yeah. a couple of bucks a pack. And so what I did is I went out and I just got a cheap pack of generic cigarettes and yeah. I taped it to a styrofoam cup and they were 89 cents. They were called basics is what they were called and taped it to the cup. And started, you know, just people would come in and I'd, you know, if somebody wanted a cigarette, I'd go, go see the cashier. They're in there and you throw the dime in the cup. And I, but the thing about it that made that work is I never took the money out of the cup. Yeah. You just let it keep filling up. And so then what we would do, cause you, when you run the cash register and you had, again, cash was more prevalent than it is right now. Yep. You know, you'd, you'd always need change. And so you go, okay, well, I'd take 10 dimes out, take the 10 dimes out of the cup, put it in the cash register, take a dollar out, and you would just do this. And then you'd get $10 and you'd take the $10 out, throw it in the cash register, take a $10 bill. And it, I mean, I had hundreds of dollars in there. I mean, that's how I, that's how I got started. That was my first kind of real business that stuck because then it came in and I was, I was doing the, trading the cigarettes, trading the cigarettes. And Guy comes in one day and he says, Cambiambos de cheques. And I was like, what? What's that mean? You know, and I figured out when he showed me the check and it was a check, $342, Martin's painting. And I was like, how much? And he said, uh, you know, or he says, how much? And I was like, five bucks. And at that point, I was like, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. I'll just take the money out of the cup. And I put $5. And I was like, man, that's five packs of cigarettes I got to sell. <laughs> See, but what the deal was then... We were able to get away with this. So, like, I've caught hell about this on on social media about oh, selling Lucy's is is illegal. I, I wasn't really creating a business doing it. Like, it's it's like somebody came in and you were selling a couple cigarettes, you know. And then once it kind of got bigger, you know, we we, we got out of it. We kind of we. I don't even think it was illegal back then. I'm like, I'm so I'm so old. This wasn't even a thing back then, you know. <laughs> and it's the same thing with cashing checks. Like, oh, you were supposed to be in the money service, but. Like back then, I mean, like when the Patriot Act got created, yeah, you needed to have like more documentation and you had to have different licenses and stuff. But back then, you know, you could sign a check over to me and I could take and put it in my account. And that's how I got going. All right. So let's go back now. So you've taken your your dad's hand or you bought 25% of the business. Correct. Right. Your career is starting to take off. Right. Then what happened? So what happened is, so my partner, Randy, was the best. Like he's, this guy was the best. And so there are outside of my parents, there's two people who've really influenced my life and kind of catapulted me to the next thing. Okay. One was Randy. He was the best business partner. He was my dad's service manager. One of the first, if not the first guy ever hired. He was, he, this guy was larger than life. He was the best. And then the guy who works for me now, who runs my transportation company, Cosman, he is, those are the two people who kind of, and I don't want to leave this thing without that being noted. Like these, these two guys made me who I am. Okay. And so what happened is Randy and I, we were these two big personalities in one building. And so he and I decided one day, we're like, Hey, we need to expand. So we bought a gas station in Griffin, Georgia. And that was the first one we bought with the land. And so how that worked out was. What do you mean with the land? So when we bought the gas station for my dad, we just had a leasehold. 
Okay. And how that deal actually worked out, it was, it was 75, 25. My dad financed it. And basically the way that that worked, that he financed the whole thing. And the way that worked out is we had to pay him all back. I think it was three years, but we only had a three-year lease. And we, I, I believe we played three times EBITDA. Okay. <laughs> so it was a, you know, it was a good way for him to get out. Yeah. We, you know, it worked out being awesome, but we figured when we added the check cashing business to the business, we started making a ton of money. We had a truck, we had a truck rentals. And so we started killing it. And so what we did from there is we put some money together. We saved up a hundred thousand dollars and we bought a property in Griffin, Georgia, you know, South, you know, out in the middle of nowhere's Booney area. And we put a hundred thousand dollars down and we bought it with the land this time. So okay. this time now we own the land and the business. Real quick, what are the economics on check cashing? We were getting 1% yeah, plus $1. 1% of the total check mm-hmm. plus a dollar. Yeah. And we were, uh, when it was all said and done, and, and, the, and the audience loves this story because, yeah. you know, the, one of the things we did is we were really having, like, to get market share when we're talking about service. Yeah. We hired this girl from South America, <laughs> and she had this platinum blonde hair, and she was like so flirty. And so we put her, we built a check cashing booth. You know, we you put two guys in there, full time check cashers, and the guys loved her. Yeah. And so like our check cashing business is like boomed. I mean, it's like I know it's kind of cheesy and cheap, but it worked. You know. And so when it was all done, we were doing over over two million dollars a month in check cashing. And did was that a hard like? Did you have to, was it regulated or could anybody have gotten into it or did you have to go get some? When we started, you it? did not. Yeah. When we got once we got going, you did. You had to have a money services, at least to my knowledge. Yeah. If there was something out there, we didn't know about it. <laughs> we were just because nobody was coming around and policing it. But again, once nine once nine eleven hit yeah. and the Patriot Act got into effect, that changed everything. So then we had to go get licenses and permits and yeah, it got heavily regulated. So you took a, a page out of Hooters playbook and and brought it into your gas station. <laughs> <laughs> we did, man. And it was it was the very thing that turned our whole that check cashing business is what made us go from good to great. Okay. Did you know that was going to be the case? Or like how did you even stumble into doing that? You're well, like, we need to make more money. Let's try this. Or was it obvious? Well it went back to the whole thing mm-hmm. of the guy came in for there's there's a segment of the population that's that was unbankable and and more so then than now. Yeah. You know, where you have electronic transfers and that sort of it wasn't it just wasn't as prevalent then. Yeah. And so that came back from the Spanish guy who came in there who asked me to catch his check. And we just kind of rode with it. Yeah. And the thing just took off. I mean, we were uh, so the first week, it was the one guy from Martin's painting. Yeah. A couple of weeks later, he brings in the rest of his crew. Yep. So he brings in the rest of his crew, and now I got five guys there. And yep. now I got $1,500 worth of checks. Well, now I made, what was that, 15, 20 bucks on that deal. Yep. And then it went from there. Next thing you know, they told their friends, and it went on. And then the other thing I noticed was this, is that I would go to, at the time, it was Nations Bank, which is where I banked at. I would go in there, and I would saw the line of people to cash their checks. So it went on and on forever. I was like, man, there's a business here. And like, you had a neon sign in the window that said check cash or whatever. We did not. Oh, you didn't? We did not. We wanted to be low key. Okay. Yeah, we wanted it to be low key. We didn't. And that's one thing how I've almost developed all of my businesses. I've been very under the radar. Yeah. I don't, on my trucks, I wasn't even having my name. Interesting. Okay. So you buy the second mm-hmm. gas station. Right. That was clearly a success. Yeah, it was good. It was the busiest one that I had ever seen. Again, it was in a real rural area and it was a great location, but I made a big mistake there because I got an SBA loan. Okay. And you so, and Randy? Me and Randy. Okay. 
And now all of a sudden I want to, I know nothing about real estate. No one ever, ever had ever taught me about real estate. So I, it's I buy, passive. It's passive. I saw you just show up and click checks. Yeah. So I go out and I sell the business for $300,000 to somebody. Okay. Well, the so prob- you, you buy the gas station, mm-hmm. sell the business out for 300000 and then ba- basically do a lease back. Yeah, I wasn't as did. smart as I thought it was. Yeah. Okay, so when I so I put down 100000 and then I got 10% owner financing from the guy who owned it. Okay. Okay, so that was our 20% for the bank. So I go, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go sell. I built the business up some more, and I was like, I'm going to sell this. I'm going to get $300,000, and I'm going to be, you know, plus the inventory, and I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to go buy another one. Well, the SBA found out. And I had to go give them all to 300,000. Oh, really? Yeah. So then I was still, no, I had no store and yeah. I had to give the, I just had to pay down my balance 300,000 and then I had to pay tax on it. So the, you know, I thought I was being a genius, but again, nobody, this is, this is how, when you talk about, you know, I don't have any education. This yeah. is how I learned. Yeah. Like I would, I would do one stupid thing after another, after another. And I just tried not to repeat. Okay. What happened after that? So after that one, I had another one. I had already bought another one in the interim and how I actually funded that one is Randy and I were going to these seminars around town about how to be an options trader. And, and it was during the dot-com deal. Okay. And so it was the late nineties, everybody was getting rich buying and selling stocks. And so he and I, we actually, one day it was either Dell or Yahoo earnings. We put all these contracts on those, on their earnings play pops. We make a hundred grand. Okay. (laughs) And we're like, this is amazing, you know? And so we went out and bought another gas station because I was like, Hey, before we lose this money, Let's go buy another gas. Let's let's invest it. So we bought that other gas station. So at the time I had three gas stations. I had the one in Atlanta, yeah. my first gas station. I had the one that I bought with the property, but I had sold the business. And then I had the one in in another town called Fayetteville. And so I had that one. And so I was just running that store. But it was it was not a killer. It wasn't like my other two, it wasn't like my other two stores. If you're gonna own a gas station, do you need to own both sides of it? What do you mean by like sides? I'm saying, is it better to operate and own the real estate or is it good to just be a landlord of these things and just treat them like triple net deals? Or is that just a totally different view of the world if you do that? So my business model is, is probably similar to a lot of guys is my business pays my bills and then my real estate built, built the wealth. Okay. And so all I wanted to do was continuing to add to my portfolio. Yeah. And so what I would do is I'd go out, I'd buy, you know, buy the store, make some income, take the proceeds, invest it and buy another piece of real estate. So, you know, Quick Trip and Wawa and all these guys, they're doing it because they have access to cheap capital and they're able to continue growing. But for me, you know, I, I didn't ever think I'd get on that level. So it was just a good way to start stringing these things together. Next thing you know, you got five, 10, 15, you know, and it just kept on compounding. Okay. So then you got to what, four? Yeah, I had four. And then what happened? So this is where it got dicey. I was kind of got over my skis uh, back to what I was telling you before. I made a lot of mistakes. I was highly leveraged. I had gotten married and I had a family and I kind of just the economics changed. Okay. So what I did a couple of very smart things, but I did a couple of foolish things. So in that, in that process there, I had built a gas station and I bought a distributorship. Okay. So I was like, if I'm out here in the play was this, so why'd you buy the distributorship? And it, this gets, com- it just gets complicated. I'm going to try to make it as easy as I can. So the plays are this, you have a, you have the gas station owner. Okay. And then you have the guy who sells him the gas. Okay. Okay. He's a distributor. And so what I realized then I was like, that's the side I want to get into. I want to be a distributor because the distributor 
was flying jets. Okay. And I was driving a Chevy S10. Okay. okay? <laughs> and I was like, okay, I think that's the play. Like, that's where I want to go with this. So we spent everything we had to put into buying a, a fuel distributorship. Okay. But within the fuel distributorship, you had two distinct things going on. You were selling to gas stations or you were sell- and you were selling to contractors. Okay. Well, in 07, I can tell you selling to contractors was not a good move. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden, all those guys that you were selling to that ran bulldozers and heavy equipment, they burned all their diesel up. You had them on 30-day terms. And then we didn't get paid. And so we had guys bankrupting on us left and right. So we put everything we could into buying this fuel distributorship. And everybody started going bankrupt. So we got killed. How long was that window between when you bought About it? About two years. So it was good for two years and then you got... It wasn't even good for two years. We overpaid. <laughs> so when we got it, so there was we brought in a third partner then. And the deal was this. It was the seller, he, fi- he was financing part of it too. And he brought us in the deal and he says, look, here's a P&L. And I looked at it again. I'm you know, not the most sophisticated guy in the world, but I, I did the addition and subtraction. I said, we're going to lose like $20,000 a month if we buy this. And the guy we took on as a partner, he was a, you know, he had a lot of tenure in the business. He actually was a general manager of, a, of another fuel distributorship. He said, no, we're going to make $20,000 a month. And I was like, well, we're like kind of far apart. Let's get like a third opinion. So we go to a, a CPA and he looks at it. He goes, you're going to, he says, you're going to break even. I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. So we went ahead and bought it anyway. And, and so we really never made a lot of money. We weren't making any money because we, we were not growing the business. We didn't have the capital to do, to, to be a distributor. You have to have capital. Yep. And we didn't have capital. We spent it all to get in. So you just kind of kept doubling down and doubling down. Every time you'd make some, you'd just yeah. buy the next Just one. like my cigarette deal. It's like you, you, you bundle and unbundle, yeah. you know, and that was, it was the same thing. So I'd go, I'd buy, and then if it worked, it was great. And so we, but the problem is I bought too much. And then when people started bankrupting on me and we couldn't grow the business, we were screwed. Okay. I can imagine you've been riding a high. Right. You're coming into 08. Obviously things are going wrong. And it seems like you had lots of businesses. There's lots of things going on. So the timeline, you don't have to get it order by order, but I'm trying to paint a picture for one, the sake of a great story, but also for like listeners of like, this is what happens when the things don't start going your way. And then we're going to come out the other side of this with yeah, how, how we, we dealt how with we it and where we are today. Okay, let's back it up. All right, you guys ready? Yeah. Okay, so backing up a little bit here, what how how I got myself in trouble was this. I'm looking at what other people are doing. I'm I'm out borrowing money, getting leveraged, wanting to be, you know, I, everyone's going, man, you're a rock star and you're the best investor and this guy, he just doesn't miss. And, you know, that's what everybody's seeing on the outside. Okay, so the mistake, one of the mistakes I made is I had sold all of my retail operations and I had two things going on. Randy had the store in Atlanta, but the neighborhood changed. So it went from this big Spanish neighborhood where we were killing it, busiest store in Atlanta, to they went all upscale and the business started, it, it was not doing very well. I had the distributorship, which is 08, everybody's bankrupting, can't pay their bills. It's getting wiped out. Like we have, no, nothing's making money. Yeah, I sold my last retail store and I got into business with my extended family. And so we we got into a business and we were doing landscaping and furniture. Okay. Well, how much furniture are you selling and how much landscape are you doing when in, in oh, oh wait, not doing any. <laughs> the other thing that was going on out there is we had a gas station that I had that I was in the middle of a flip 
sold it to my manager. The man, the bank said, well, if you believe in this guy so much, why don't you get on the note with him? So I get on the note with him and then he defaults. So I have, yeah, I have these businesses kind of going on, but none of them are making any money. I'm getting killed. So now where's it go? I got way too leveraged. At the end of the day, I got too leveraged. I mean, I didn't have, I didn't have the, I did not have the capital. I didn't have the resources to back it up. So everything started falling apart. And then what happened, to be honest with you, it was the uh, mortgage company put a note on the door. Yeah. That's when it got real. That's when it got real. Okay. And so then there was no hiding it. And then. And you were married? Kids? Married, married kids. Okay. They're, they're in elementary school. And then what was happening? Again, I was doing fine before. The kids come home from school and they don't get their report card because we didn't pay tuition. So now my kids are embarrassed. Yeah. Because they're trying to ask, right? So now I got my kids aren't getting their report card. You got a mortgage knock on the door. Yeah. And then it got into, again, I was just, I mean, I was just doing, I think, what any guy would try to do for his family. Like I would just kept on trying to flipping gas stations and selling, you know, real estate. And I had stock I had bought from the time I was 12 or 13 years old. And I was selling that trying to, you know, just, I mean, you're just, you're literally just trying to get grocery money. Yep. And like I told you, I didn't go to, I, I, I didn't have the money to walk into the attorney's office and go, Hey, here's 500 bucks. I want to file bankrupt. I couldn't, I couldn't get that kind of money together. Yep. Cause I had to go pay the tuition or I had to go do this. And so I just kept on just rolling it one thing to the next. I didn't see any end in sight, but I just couldn't stop. You know, it was like, it was just within me. Like I had to keep on doing it. So it was very, very hard. Uh, and then it was, I mean, Chris, listen, man, I know there's a lot of guys and I've heard about some of these guys who I don't know them personally on Twitter and they've, you know, they've had it hard. I was, and I put a post up on this and people don't believe me. And listen, man, I pulled up on a 4th of July and I didn't even have, I mean, I was trying to put the money together to get into a state park to watch fireworks. Like that's how, that's how far, I mean, you're talking $7, you know? So this is not, I mean, the, it's everything. The banks are calling. Everything's going straight to voicemail. Your wife is going, why did my credit card get declined? And people go, well, you should know what your credit limit is. Well, you're right. You got a capital one over here and then she's got a capital one. And then, you know, American Express, you know, you're first, you're going to burn through your cash. Then you're going to burn through your credit lines. And then, you know, then the music stops. And so I was just trying to move, you know, it was a shell game. Did you ever have a sit down with your wife or your family and just kind of say, here's what's going on? Or did you just kind of play through it? I just ran through it. Yeah. I never said, I never kind of knew there was no denying it. Now my kids were too young. My kids thought we were rich forever. Yeah. They never, they never knew we were against it. I mean, look, man, it was, it was, it got down to, I mean, we were catering. I mean, I was going in and catering people's Super Bowl parties. <laughs> you know what I mean? This goes back to my barbecue sauce. But um, tell the story. <laughs> so, I mean, this goes back to, I mean, you know, I was making a little bit of money, but my overhead was here, but my income was here. You know, I mean, you know, even these developers and guys who have a hard time, you're making, you've got some money coming in from other. It's like, who are you not going to pay? I, you know, how that actually started, it was funny because I had that gas, I had the gas station that the, the forbearance got put on. And like I said, the only reason they didn't foreclose is because of an environmental issue and the bank didn't want it. And so I had this idea. I was like, all right, I'm going to sell ribs. 
you know? And so I put these ribs on it. We had a rotisserie, okay? And for me to get people in the store, the store looked like a tomb. It looked awful. It looked like a, a Russian air bunker. And so for me to get people in, I wish I had a picture of it. I, would, I got this old Weber grill and I rolled it out by the road oh my God. and and I loaded it up full of wood and, you know, and I'd, and I'd put meat on there, just hamburgers just to get the fragrance and it was at, by the stop sign. And this thing was smoking like, uh, I mean, it was just smoking like crazy. And and people would come in there and I'd start selling these, I'd start selling the ribs. And people were like, man, this is, this, these ribs are amazing. You know, and I'm like, yeah, man, you know, you, you really should get, pick up a bottle of the sauce, you know? <laughs> yeah, man, where you get this from? I said, like, man, I make this right here, you know? And, and so what I did is this, I started buying, you know, I got these mason jars and I started getting the mason jars and I started filling up from the, the sauce from Sam's Club. And, you know, it was great. And so, What'd but you, you know, I would, it? It, we didn't have any name on it, you know? And it's so I just better. had it, but I put it underneath the counter even where it wasn't on display. Like you had to know, you had to have like the secret handshake to get the sauce. Oh and gosh. it was like this word spread like wildfire. It's like, you got to go see Chris. You got to get that barbecue sauce <laughs> and you got to know what you got. You He won't sell it to just everybody. Oh. And so we built a, we built it, it at the time. Again, the funny thing about like all this stuff is like all this stuff is just normal TV. Yeah. Like there's nothing to this. It's abnormal. And I get put on Twitter and people are like, this is, they're amazed. I'm like, doesn't everybody do this? You know, like, so anyway, it was, it was, yeah, it was good times. You are the definition of scrappy. Okay. So you said, I didn't see the end in sight. Yeah. You don't see it, but it came. So when did things start working back in your favor again? This is a, this is actually amazing. So we had the the thing I had as I had that fuel distribution business, it was losing money. Okay. It was losing money. How you make money. And is you have to, all we sold was gas. So I needed to sell gas. One day I'm driving down the street and there's this chain of gas stations called hotspot gas stations. And they have five stores in Atlanta. Okay. And I'm driving down there. I've been driving by the store forever. And I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that guy a letter and just see if he'll sell me that store. I have no money. Okay. And the car I'm driving at the time is a, is a 2003 Chevy S10. That was my dad's that he sold me for $2,000. That's what I'm driving. So I write a letter to these people. I'm like, Hey, would you sell me your gas station? It's, it's, it's Helgeth Enterprises. Yeah. That, well, that was actually <laughs> our company. It's Helgeth Enterprises. Oh, well, I, okay. I just made yeah. that up. Okay. Yeah. That was some our corporation. Big fancy name. So I write him a letter. I'm like, Hey, you know, I own this fuel. Dist- I'm Chris. Chris Helgeth, I own Vimac, I'm a fuel distributor. And I was leveraging the name, which it had a good name, but was making zero money. Yeah. Uh, I was losing money. And so I write the guy a letter. I'm like, I'd like to buy your stores. Listen, man, I get a phone call like a week later and they go, hey, Chris, yes. This is, I think his name was Dan. He goes, this is Dan from Hotspot Convenience Stores. I'm the CEO here and our owner just passed away and we need to settle his estate. And so we're going to sell the stores to settle as a state because they owned like, like 50 or 60 stores. And they were a big player, but mainly in South Carolina. And so I'm like, awesome, man, that's great. He's like, you know, I was like, what's the price? And he goes, well, make us an offer. And I'm like, okay. And so I offer him five and a half million dollars plus inventory. Okay. Dude, like I can't even like my wife's cards getting declined. Okay. And like, I'm talking, I'm trying to broker this deal. Right. And so he's like, okay. So, well, Hey, let me talk to the board and talk to the board, get back to you. So he comes back. He says, Hey, look, we're going to put it up for bid and we're going to see what the best deal we can get is. So another guy offers him $6 million with the inventory. I'm at five and a half plus inventory. He goes and physically counts the inventory. And apparently I was like 10,000. My, my deal was $10,000 more. 
okay, than what the other guy did. He was real straightest street ever met. He goes, I'll take the deal. And I was like, awesome. And he goes, all right, send me a contract. I'm like, cool, no problem, man. Got you. Like, I'm cool as a cucumber, right? In my S10. Uh, you know, probably prepaid minutes at the time. You know, like I got, you know, like, I got to make this call quick, you know, otherwise I'm going to get turned <laughs> off. So I'm like, yeah, you got it. And so then I go and I'm like, well, where am I going to get the earnest money? So then I go to my neighbor, he's a dentist and he was always intrigued by what I was doing. He goes, you know, he's like, Hey, I'd like to get in business and do something with you one day and invest, you know, whatever. I was like, yeah, man, let's do it. You know, that's great, man. I'm, I'm an expert at this. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, okay, great. Well, he comes up with 25 grand. I was like, all right, I just need another 25 grand and, you know, I've got earnest money. So I go to my dad. I'm like, dad, hey, you know, I got this investment going on, you know, do you interested in doing it? <laughs> you know, and he goes, yeah, sure. You know, he goes, great, I'll do it. So we put the 50000 you know, I get the $50,000, we put it down. And so I bought these, it ended up being six gas stations. Nobody in the world's going to finance me. Dude, I can't get a capital one card. Like, yeah. I, mean, I can't even get a $200 limit. I'm like, all right, now how am I going to get five and a half million dollars together? Yeah. Right? So I knew what they were worth. So I went out there and I, I, I got with a broker who I knew could move these things. I'm like, let's move these stores. So he went in and we flipped. We had contracts on all five of these. or it was only we, we ended up selling four of them and we kept two. So I sold those four stores for enough to buy the other. To buy the others. And so I got all their money. But everybody who was coming in, I was playing hardball. I was like, you need $100,000 earnest money, non-refundable. Okay. So that's what these guys all had to get into the deal. So I knew my deal was solid. Well, then we get to the closing table. Not everybody has their earnest, not, not everybody has all their funding set up. They're short a hundred thousand. I'm owner financing. I'm putting the whole deal together, but that was the deal that turned my whole life around. Cause that deal right there, we went from, I was able to take the volume that what is going from all those stores, put it into my fuel distribution company. Now I'm profitable. Because you became your own customer. That was the, see, that's what I, that was the, what you would do, like when you're a distributor, you want to own the locations and they have to buy their fuel from you. That's what you're trying to do. So that's. Oh, and you signed contracts with the four you flip that I'll flip it to you, but you got to You got to buy your gas from me. Where do you get the gas from? We get it from the terminals up in Atlanta, but you had to have contracts. And even how we were on our contracts, you know, most of these guys are running around with unsecured lines, just open lines of credit, can buy whatever they want. We had to have a secured line. So you had to be careful how much you could even buy. So they wouldn't sell me any more gas. So I started going out to friends of mine who were competitors who just knew who I was, but never knew that I was had bad credit. And they started selling me gas. How long did that deal take to put together? And Was that over a year? Or no, no. I did that months? in like a couple of months, like four months. Who bought the other four from you? Just local operators or like a big group? Man, guys, two guys from Boston, one guy from California, and another guy, he was local. Okay, so it was one local guy, a guy from California, and the one guy, like on his way to the closing table, he flipped his moving truck on the exit. His furniture's strewn all over the road, and I'm like, look, you got to come. Like, I'm sorry. You're going to have to get your wife to deal with this. Like, you got to get here. You don't get these stores. Because that whole deal, and I'll never forget the, like, the, the guy, the closing attorney, he and I are friends to this day, because all that money came into his escrow account, and then he funded the deal. And I walked out with a lot of money. And paid off probably all your credit cards. Uh, I got my $200 credit limit back restored with, <laughs> with Capital One. You know, I, I paid off all of those bills and then I got, and then I got real serious at that point. And we never, we never looked back. And that's, you know, the, the thing that I want people to understand is this, as quickly as things go bad, they can go good. And oh. you gotta, you gotta hang in there, man. And it's like, it's, you know, not to get too biblical on you, but you know, God's going to give you what you can take, man. Yeah. And never more. 
Nevermore. And and you can't lose sight of that. You just got to go like, okay, I'm being tested. Everything I did was for a reason. People look at me right now and they're like, oh yeah, I want to get in the gas game. You sure about that? Like, you yeah. sure? Like, you, you, all anybody sees right now is like, oh, this guy's got a bunch of shiny trucks and lives in, you know, nice home and has a vacation home. Like, you don't know, man. Like, I mean, you know, everybody doesn't have to take that way, but it's not been easy, man. I don't ever want to, this watch I'm wearing right here, I put it on Twitter the other day. This is the one I was wearing when I was a teenager, man. I wore it today because I just don't want to ever forget where I came from. Yeah, you said something. Maybe it was in a tweet or something you said. You said, I can, or maybe it was somebody that, it was somebody you're doing business with that said something like, I can be poor longer than you can be rich or something like that. So my tire man, his name is Thomas. This guy's amazing, man. He's this old African-American guy. And he comes in there, he goes, he goes, you just don't, don't, don't you ever forget. He goes, I can act poor longer than you can ever act rich. Yeah. And he's got all the money in the world. Like, I mean, not all the money in the world, but you know, he's got plenty, you know, he's yeah. stacks of money and stuff and he does great. And he's, and just that wisdom. I love talking to these old people and hearing what they got going on. But it was, that was the moment, man, where everything flipped from bad to, to, to great. I've done 300 and some odd of these episodes and like, it is a continuous thread that the greats are great because they've been through a ton. Mm -hmm. You know, God gives us those moments so that we can build wisdom and build. I mean, nobody's like great just because they've been great forever. They're usually great off the backs of either giants or huge mistakes they've made. And if you're looking for tons of mistakes made, you can find them right here too. I believe it, man. I mean, I've done the biggest bonehead things ever, personal and business. It's how you learn. If you don't learn from it, then you know you're you're gonna have a hard time. I, again, I just I just totally subscribe to it. Like I I don't like you said. I know a lot of successful people, and every one of them has had to drag their knuckles until they got till they were bleeding and just try to figure it out. And it's just part of it, man. The other thread is like most of the greatest deals that we've talked about on this podcast have been like a cold call or a cold letter or a cold something. Mm -hmm. AI, you can come out with all the technology in the world. I still haven't actually seen something that is as effective to find the true diamond in the rough than a cold outreach. It is. I mean, that's where your money is made. You know, I mean, you, you know, if it's easy and it's out there for everybody, it's, you know, like how I do deals. I don't do anything like off of LoopNet or Crexy or and not, not throwing shade at them, but like I always, that's how I trade. I look for things that are, nobody else is looking for. That's where the money's at for me anyway. How do you flip a gas station? So what I would get is I had a, I had a good reputation for being a buyer, you know, yeah. uh, people, they just knew I was a good buyer. You know, I'd always do what I, that was one thing I always did. I always did what I said I was going to do. And so you go out, if you like how I was able to build my portfolio, I had a formula Okay, and I've posted it before, which is if I knew the bank wanted 20% down, I needed the business value of that as of that purchase to be at least 20% of the purchase price. Okay. So if it was a million dollar purchase, I needed the business, the leasehold to be worth 200,000. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go to the bank and I'm going to borrow eight and I'm going to put down two. And what and I was businesses were two and the real estate's worth eight. You're just kind of bifurcating it in your head. That's your right. Model. Okay. And so all I would do is that, and this is like the biggest cheat code in the world, man. I was able to accelerate everything. I'd go out and I'd find Chris wants to get in the gas business and he just wants to run a store. I'm like, cool, man, give me 200 grand. I'll put you in the store. And so Chris would give me 200. I have no money out of my pocket. I got the real estate. I got the fuel supply agreement. 
and you got a store. So you would just sell them the business. That's it. And to this date, would you rather own the business now, or you just want to own the real no, estate? No, I can't. I, I, for me, I wasn't a good enough operator to yeah. be a, I, one store. I could run with anybody. Yeah. But if I, I could probably do it now, but when I was younger, I didn't want to run 10 stores. That was just not my thing. For me, you could scale to infinity, just owning gas, just owning the real estate and selling them gas. It's so easy. Are you flipping stores still to this day? Yeah, I got five I'm doing right now. I got to buy that Porsche. Oh, that's right. The yeah, nine, yeah, I got to get, get that 911, man. And, it, you know, it's like, I'm not even doing it. It's like, I'm only doing it as a bit. I'm trying to show everybody, like, how to do the deal. You can do it. Yeah, I'm like, this, this is how you do it. I mean, this is a cheap deal. I'm going to show the numbers when I get all done. And, you know, it's like, I'm going to make more than one Porsche out of this deal, but I'm not going to take it all and put it all in one Porsche. I mean, that's just, that's bonehead deal. But so... I'm showing everybody how to do it. Like I'm literally walking you through, hey, buy these stores, sell these stores. This is how you do it. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm, I mean. How do you find the buyers of the stores? You just go to biz, buy, sell or something? Or no, a- uh, you need to really work. We're a very tight niche. You need to find guys who, who operate in that circle. And so just like you, if you're selling industrial, you work with, you know, you're not going to call convenience store guys. I'm not calling industrial guys. So we just have a real tight circle that we run in. And we, you know, I just, they, I have brokers that I use that run specifically in gas stations. And then I also have a ton of my own connections. My phone, I got like 1,500 people on my phone. All right. 2016 rolls around. What did Helgeth Enterprises look like at that point going into 2016? So going into 2016, I had bought Randy out in 2013. Okay. Why? So that was 100% mine. He wanted to go, he wanted to retire. Okay. He, he knew, like what Randy knew is this. He said that this business was being held back by him. And he said, hey, look, you're grow- You're the guy who grows it. You're the working guy. I've made my money. I'm good. I'm going. And he moved to Mexico. Okay. Took his money, moved to Mexico. He's happy as hell. <laughs> For me, he left me here with it. And then I got after it because what, what happens is, and it was kind of a tweet I put out the other day, you have your working partner and you got your equity guy. Okay. And so I'm going in here and I'm working every day, but I'm not getting half the money. You know what I mean? Not, not, no fault of his. I mean, he was doing the deal exactly right, but I'm like, or even if I was getting half the money, I'm like, this is just no fun. Like I'm doing everything and I'm only getting, you know, I put an account on, I'm supposed to make 5,000, I'm making 25, it's not changing my life. So he was ready to sell out. It was amicable. It was great. In order for me to fund that, I had to sell part of my portfolio off to give him, to give, to fund his, because I didn't have the cash. I had everybody who was going bankrupt on me, all these different things had happened. So I sold part of my, my gas contracts to another friend of mine, used that money, paid off Randy. Wait, what do you mean your gas contracts? So when you when you sell gas to a gas station, yeah. if it's branded gas station, Shell, Chevron, Exxon, whatever, yeah. you're gonna have you're gonna you're gonna enter into a ten year fuel supply agreement with them. Okay, so they're right, like really an annuity. Quickly, Exxon gas doesn't necessarily come from Exxon Wells. Like it's just, <laughs> I don't know what happens. What I can tell you is this: is I pull my truck up to the terminal. And we pull different <laughs> brands out of uh, out of a particular okay, terminal. Fair now, enough. But they do know, like this I can testify to, is that they do have their own additives. They okay. have proprietary additives, and they're put in line before that gets on the truck. Okay. okay. So it doesn't, I, I don't think it comes from an I, I don't know what well it comes from. Okay. I pulled the cardinal sin. I, I interrupted you. So I asked you why you were selling contracts to, to pay him out. Yeah. So when you, that's the beauty of the business. So you own the real estate, and then you're selling the, and then you're f- selling them the fuel. Okay. So now you're get you've got an annuity. You got a 10 year deal. You know, you, you're going to invest, call it two years of, you, you, you want to get your money back in two years. You got eight years of income. Okay. Sometimes it's three years of cost to get in it and seven years of income. So I had a bunch of these things. I, I don't know. At the time I had like 70 of them. So I sold off a part of them and then I gave them to a competitor and I used that money and gave it to Randy to, to fund Randy. 
So you gave gas con you're in the gas business, mm -hmm. but you sold some of your contracts to a competitor to pay him off. Right. Did you end up ever getting those contracts back or are they gone forever? No, man. But you know, it's awesome because I, I sell the fuel to them. I, I deliver the fuel to almost every one of those locations now. Okay. Bunty walks in in 2016 and says, Chris, what's your price? And you said, man, I'm not for sale. Yeah, we had really done good at this point. Okay. So I had gone from, you know, if you go back to 08, you know, everybody was going bankrupt on us. Then we started building it up again in 20, like call it 2010. We were buying another distributor out. And so he, he goes bankrupt on us. So I'm back to, you know, like 08 again. Then I buy another guy. I'm trying to buy another guy out. And then he goes bankrupt. On, it, it happened to me three times that we were guys we were selling to bankrupting. And so I eventually learned I'm not doing that anymore. Okay. Like we don't own or find it. We don't sell gas to distributors who are trying to get out of the business. So 2013 comes along buy Randy out and I get after it now. I'm like, okay, now it's hundred percent mine. Like I'm going to get after it. And I started going out and I started turning deals, 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 deals. Everybody, like if you're in a gas business in, in Atlanta, I, I've been involved in so many stores there. You're like I, I either owned them, bought them, flipped them, sold them, brokered them, like anything that had to do with it. And every, you know, I was a go-to guy. So I got out of them, built the volume up big. Okay. And at this point I'm over hundred gas stations that I'm selling gas to, this is now we're up to a hundred million dollars. And, you know, I'm hitting a lick, man. So now I'm on the radar. So I wouldn't, even as distribution goes, we were a smaller company. We were not big, you know, this is all self-funded. I wasn't borrowing any money anymore. I wasn't even bankable. So I'm sitting there in my office. I get a cold call and the guy calls. He says, Hey, we want to have a meeting with you. There's an attorney. His name was Paul. He goes, we want to have a meeting with you. I was like, okay, cool, man. Uh, what are we going to talk about? And he goes, Man, we, we want to get in the distribution game. I was like, okay, well, just whatever. Come on by and see me. So he comes by and he sees me and the guy pulls up in a Maybach, uh, I think is what you call that. And uh, in comes Paul, the attorney, and, and Bunty. And they say to me, he says, you know, they're trying to figure out different ways they can buy gas and put them in their own stores. And eventually the guy just looks at me and he goes, why don't you just sell us your place? I was like, it's not for sale. Like, I'm not for sale. It's not, No. He goes, and just dead straight in the eyes, he goes, everybody has a price. And I was like, okay, give me X. And he stands up, shakes my hand, he says, we'll do the deal. No, he hadn't looked at any paperwork, just did everything on my word. Didn't, I mean, he just said, yeah, we, we like what you've done. So he shakes my hand and he walked out of the office and I just broke down, man. This is not, this, this is the furthest thing from my mind. Cause I was making money now. I'm doing good. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm good. Like the, you know, I'm not fronting anymore. Like I'm actually making money and everything's great. And Bunty walks in, he says, you know, he wants to have it. Name your price. And I was like, give me this. And I knew with what I had at that point that if he gave me that, I'd never have to work again. What'd your wife say? We both just cried, man. <laughs> Cause you go from like, you have to know, man, like going from declined credit card. Yeah to never having to worry again. It's, I mean, it's just like, a, it's a feeling that you, it, it's like nothing. I Those mean, report cards were getting signed. Yeah, they were, they were it was paid, tuition's paid in, in advance. <laughs> you know, I mean, we went from that to being the biggest donor at the school. Unbelievable. You know what I'm saying? So like, so, and so I, I sell it to Bunty in, in 2016 and I had the only thing I did on that. So when you run a fuel distribution company, you only have a couple of employees. Yeah, you, know, you got your dispatcher, you got your market manager, you got your accountant running all that stuff. Everything's automated, but he had a lot of drivers. 
And so the only deal I made, I had just hired this one guy, Cosman, who works for me. He's the second guy I was going to tell you about that kind of changed my life and made my business great. So I've got Cosman working for me. And I, I was like, I can't get rid of the trucking part because I don't, I can't tell Cosmo, I just hired you three months ago and now you're going to go work for this guy. Like, I just couldn't do that. I was like, I got to, I got to keep this guy on. So I made a deal with him and there's another guy named Chris working for me. I was like, look, here, here's the deal, guys. I'm done. I don't want to work anymore. If you guys want a job, here's the deal. I'm going to pay you guys X and I don't want to come up here anymore. And they're like, cool. Yeah, we'll do that deal. So I'd go up there once a week, once every other week and just kind of check on things and pick up checks or ask him about certain things. But I really did nothing. And my goal was to give it to those two. In fact, one of my, I was like, take it. Like you want it, you can have it. But he just was nervous about that. And real quick, you sold your distribution business mm-hmm. to, to uh, Bunty, Bunty mm-hmm. which who is Bunty? Bunty is actually the largest game gaming operator, the Co-Am, the video poker machine operator in the yeah. state of Georgia. Okay. I thought that was a guy. Okay. Yeah. He's great, man. This um, guy's unbelievable. That's another story. Well, yeah, we're going we're, to we're gonna, we're gonna loop back there, but you sold it to him. So real quick, what did you leave to these two employees in? To run s- the trucking company. So I think at the time we had seven or eight trucks. Okay. Doing what? Delivering gas. So what did you sell? The contracts. Ah. So you have three things going on. You have the, the gasoline, yep. the real estate, the trucking. Those are my three ways I was making money. And you sold the gasoline. Contract. I sold the gas contracts. That's where the money's at. Kept the trucks. Yes. Real quick, and I, I have to get here. I probably watch too much crime TV, but I picture a gas station in a good area of town, probably not a whole lot. And then you see a lot on these, these TV shows, you see these, a lot of the crime happens at the gas station. There's yeah. shootouts in the gas area there's robberies and like my heart like when you watch them and you just know something's about to happen so typically you're walking into these stores there's plexiglass or bars and the employees are back i don't even know what the question is but how do these there's clearly they people own these gas stations in what i would consider some of the toughest areas in the country yeah what is happening there i mean is the and it's it's dangerous to show up to as someone who's like seen it from that side how do these stores survive and not just kind of it's just a way up? of life man yeah it's just a way of life you don't know any different yeah you know you wake up every day i mean you, you know i carry a gun when i was younger it was mace and you know you it's like a billy club of sorts that the police carried i was like you know a baton you know i yeah. carried that and you just you just got used to it i mean you just you didn't think any you didn't think twice about it but was theft like a part of the business model it's part of it yeah yeah i mean you you know we've had shootouts yeah we've had people you know i mean we've had it all man i mean we've had the people you know stealing stuff and you're shooting mace in their face and they're underground and you got the police coming i mean yeah it's all that stuff i mean it's just that you you get desensitized to it after a while i mean you don't ever like, you don't look forward to it, but you just get used to it. Well, we're going to have to go back in time then, because don't you have a story of having a gun pulled on you? I have had a gun pulled on me more than once, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's actually the last, when I finally got out of the business, when I sold my last store that I was running, a guy stole my grill. His name was Poon. And so Poon stole my grill and I didn't realize he was a local drug dealer. Yeah. And when he 
Uh, this is your Weber grill that you were selling. No, this was of? my pull behind smoker that okay. I pulled behind, you know, that I, I had upgraded. Okay. So I confronted him about it and he threatened to kill me and I was done. Done with what? Running stores. That was it. Yeah. Cause I had a family then. Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger, I didn't care. It's yeah. like you didn't, you're invincible and didn't anything to lose. Okay. So you sell you and your wife, high five tuitions prepaid yeah, report cards are being signed yeah man it's been a good eight-year run you go on a little sabbatical yeah and then in 2019 your right-hand man in the trucking business his name was chris as well and chris decided that he didn't decide he found a he got a girlfriend got engaged we're gonna get married so he goes and he gets married and I'm, and I was like, Hey Chris, I know you're not going to stick around and do this. Like you're marrying a doctor and he's no nah, man, I'm here. I'm here. And I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, no, you're not. And you shouldn't be, you know? So, uh, sure enough, he quits, nothing quit. He gives me notice. And, and this was all right when COVID hit. And I was like, it's game on. Let's do it, man. I'm watching the news. The news says that there's a, a national truck shortage for fuel delivery companies. I see everything that's going on and it's very personal to me. A lot of people count on me for what we did because we're really good at what we do. And I, I just felt like it was my calling. I was like, let's go, man. I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. So I went straight to work. I uh, got in there, started working five days a week again. I actually worked seven days a week, but going to the office five days a week and started, we started putting it together and we started hiring like crazy, buying equipment. I mean, I was doing things that nobody was doing in order to get equipment. I was buying used trailers, refurbishing stuff, rebuilding stuff. We were doing everything, man. We were, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Did you lose your touch at all over three years or had you stayed dialed into where it was just like second nature to you? No, I don't think I ever lost it. Why do you think that is? I think I got better perspective. Which was? I was better at managing people. Number one, my goals were different. Yeah. And so my philosophy was when I started the trucking company and really started pushing it was I could see that, you know, what a lot of people in the industry did is they were trying to figure out how much the owner can make and how much they can keep from the driver. And I kind of flipped that and I was like, look, I want this to be the best place to work in Atlanta if you're a truck driver. And so when I flipped that script, everybody started coming in and it was like, the less I worried about how much money I was making, the more I started making. What do you know about managing people today that you didn't know when you started? I would say you need to respect these people. They, their dads and moms and somebody's kid and you need to treat them like you want to be treated. And I think that's a big part of it. And I think that, I think you got to give people an opportunity, you know, and you got to make them feel like they're part of the team. It's not, you know, one reason I don't drive a Porsche to work is because I don't want it to be like, Chris is here and you're driving a Nissan Altima, you yeah. know, like I just didn't, I just, I don't know. I think it's a bad look. Yeah. Was that just acquired, that's just wisdom over time? My dad did a good job of that, you know, because he he actually was really good at his the number one thing for me. If I start seeing I'm losing employees, there's a problem. That's the number one thing I look at. I don't, you know, customer, you know, I've, I don't lose customers. So, it, it, but if I start losing customers, I know there's something with that too. But my that's always my metric. If I start lo if my turnover goes up, we don't lose drivers. Okay, you, you're in the trucking business, which is a hard business. It's hard. But you said we're really, really good at it. Yeah, we're good. Why are you good? Because I do it for personal reasons. It's not a, it's, you know, we're commoditized business and you've got to, you got to try not to be a commodity. Okay. And so how we do it is we, we really work on the relationships. Even though I'm the owner of the company and I'm going to be, you know, the anti Nick Huber here when I say this, I can't, 
I can't give my stuff to VAs and I can't give it to anybody. I personally dispatch hundreds of loads, thousands of loads a week, me personally, because I understand Atlanta and I understand the traffic patterns and I understand the the store sizes and the personality of stores and what they're all going to do. And so I've just taken it off personally because I can make all the money I want to make out of that right there within 150 miles of Atlanta. Like I don't need to go outside of what you kind of what I heard was you're a market expert in Atlanta. That's it, you man. Under, but if you came, let's just say I said you you went back ten years, but you still had the knowledge you have today. Mm-hmm. What would you do if you arrived in DFW? What would I do if I came in here? First thing I would do, I mean, I, assuming you know I had the the bases covered, which is the the, the ability to get to the terminals and that sort of thing. I would be going out and I'd be fi- finding relationships with the local distributors. And they're, you know, they're hard to get because a lot of them have their own trucks, but they can only do so much on their own and they end up giving their overflow out. So I'd be making relationships with the local distributors. I'd be trying to get with the big guys like uh, that don't use their own transportation, like Wawa, Quick Trip, Kroger. They don't use, they don't have their own trucks. So I'd be making relationships with them, but it's all about the drivers. You got to get the drivers. You got to find out who the best drivers are and you got to try to figure out how to, how to attract them. How do you attract them? They want to make the most money. Okay. How do you make the most money? You got to charge the most. Well, you can't charge the most if you're a new guy in town. So you got to figure out how to, at first, you got to fit, you know, most guys come in, they, they give their product away. I'm not doing that. I'm going to figure, I mean, you got to, you got to have some sort of value in what you got. And you, you know, the, the best piece of advice I think I ever got from somebody, I remember I, I was sitting on a, I was at a football game as a friend of mine. He's probably the wealthiest friend that I have. And he said, you know, you got to find the people who want to pay top dollar. That's the guys you want. You can't make money work for the guys you want to do it, do it cheap. So real quick, I probably should ask this to start. What is the the supply chain? So starting from comes out of the ground, goes through midstream lines to the refinery, mm-hmm. take it from there. All I do is downstream. Okay. So we just pick up at the local terminals you see around town. So we, who gets it to the terminal? Do you know? That's going to come up the pipeline. Okay. Okay. So, so it's pipeline to terminal. Yeah. Now ethanol comes in on rail. Who uses, so, what's ethanol for? Ethanol goes into gas. So like most cities, it's you got to have at least 10% ethanol for every okay. gallon of gas. So that comes in on rail. So uh, we transport a lot of ethanol. Like I have a love-hate relationship with ethanol, but we transport a lot of it. So that comes in and then we get it from, from their terminal, the ethanol terminal. And we bring it to the terminals you see locally that the trucks pull in to pick up the gas. So it goes from there into the gas station, gas station to end user. What do you see as disruptive to the gas station business? Like, is there any big risks out there? <laughs> so I know the one that, uh, I feel like I'm getting led down this one where we're talking about EVs. No? Okay. Yeah. I'm not that worried. I mean, I'm more worried about a Costco ju- jumping into my market or a Kroger. Yeah. Because if you think about it, if a Costco sells a million gallons a month, that gallon's coming out of your market. You know how many EVs you have to put? It's like 20,000 EVs got to like pull it into your city. You know, is it going to happen? I guess it will. But, you know, we've figured out a way to make money in this industry. And, and you know, me specifically, okay, me personally, the uh, these are covered land plays. I'm selling them gas. And so you sell the gas to the store, you deliver the gas to the store, you're getting the rent money. And then if it ever becomes where it's not a viable model, okay, well, I'm going to rent it to Dutch Brothers, I guess. You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. What do we? Uh, I'm okay. You know, I mean, these guys are pretty savvy that are doing this. Most of these guys are not. We're we're not. I mean, 
I know there's guys who are sweating it and I think certain markets are, it's stronger, but like in Georgia, we're not, I'm not worried about it. It's a growing industry still. And the margins are good. Yeah. You know, the margins, we figured out that we can like, we're going to sell every drop of it and you can make money on it and people are still going to buy it. Well, I, I mean, people talk about how long until all gas stations are converted to EV and I'm like, it's certainly going to be in your lifetime, probably your kid's lifetime. I mean, the infa- just, the critical infrastructure we already have built in this country would cost trillions of dollars. I agree. And the two other, you know, the two things that I say to that, like, okay, so the primest real estate at most of these cities is going to own by a gas station. Most of the time, you know, not all the time, but we have great real estate. So if we, if we have great real estate, well, then there's going to be a, a use for it, number one. And if I have great real estate, then I need to make some good money off of it, right? Why am I going to put EV chargers at a gas station when it would make more sense to go a block down the street where it's not, you know, at a strip mall, for example, when they could put 10 of these things up there? Like, it it just doesn't, they don't really, I mean, they go together, like, if you're looking at, like, a Bucky's or something like that, you know, or, a, you know, these quick trips where they're going to have these, but a local gas station have, like, two of these things. I just don't think it's really there yet because... A lot of those guys are parking, they're, they're, they're charging at home, you know? So if I'm competing with charging at home, I'm never going to be able to overcome that. That's number one. All right. If somebody part. drives a Prius, do you let them get gasoline from your <laughs> gas station? You know, I saw Sean said something about uh-huh. that. It's really kind of a bit more than anything. Oh, like, yeah. it's more like, I feel like it's, what I don't like about it, I feel like, the, I, I feel like, it, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just being self-conscious. I feel like everybody wants us to fail. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's a cult. Not me. Well, I appreciate it. You're in Texas. You would, you'd, they'd throw you out of here if you said that. Yeah. But I feel like people want to see us fail. And that's the part I don't like. Like, I don't care if you drive a Prius. I don't care if you drive a Tesla. I don't care what you, drive whatever you want. But we're not bad guys. Like we do a vital thing to the industry. We do it. We contribute to, you know, we're, we do a lot, you know, we're not, you know, we, we're families too, you know, we're not trying to like pollute. I mean, we're just trying to provide a valuable service to to the community. I had to poke you there. No, I thought it was hilarious. When he said that, I was like, oh gosh, I know this one's coming, but it, I don't, you know, it's, it's more of a bit. I think it's a lot of fun talking about it, but I don't, I, I, I don't. Uh, it's not self-preservation because I mean, like I said, I'm I'm doing everything I'm doing now is just it's just extra. What about car washes at gas stations? Good I or love bad? them, man. I think they're great. The problem with most of them is, is they're just not managed well. Yeah. So if you manage them well, they're going to be great. They're great little profit centers. But you know, if you can't get the guy to clean the bathroom, you think you're going to go out there and, and scrape a car wash? No, it's not happening. So if you if they you get a good you get a, a good operator, they're they're still a viable business. The thing that will kill you is they open up an express wash next door. Yeah then you're, it, they'll suck up all the volume. It's real hard to make it. But still, his friend, one of my customers, he has one, because he, he does a frictionless wash, the touch wash, and he kills it, you know, and there's a, there's a, a big express wash right down the street because some people don't want their car to, you know, get friction on it. And so he still does good, but he manages it great. Building new or buying existing? I'm definitely going to do existing. Yeah. Yeah, because usually they are already great locations. They're usually yeah. already great locations. They just need a you know a few hundred thousand dollars put in them. I and right now, trying to get anything entitled is almost impossible. Yeah. Okay. So why? If it's, I, I don't think it matters what you're trying to do. Yeah. Well, that's true. You know, I just think that in general, nobody wants anything to be built, homes included, and it's so hard to do. I mean, it you you know time is money, and if it's taken me a year, two years to go get something entitled, I'd rather just go in there, pay a little bit more. Curb cuts are there. DOT's already approved the permit of the access. Like, it, there's so much value in that. 
What's your process for environmental? I'd skip phase one if I can. I go straight to phase two. And phase two is they're going to, you know, they're going to poke holes in the ground and they're going to take their samples and tell you what's going on there. Wait, why do you skip phase one? Because they're going to tell me to do phase two. I know. It's so self-serving. The company that charges you for phase one is like, yeah, you should probably do a phase two. I'm like, why do that? Okay. But that's when you're buying, right? Yeah. Okay. Then what do you do with the report? Do you use that as negotiation power or? You can, because if it even has trace amounts in it, then you can usually go back to the buyer and go, you know, and you may not even have to clean it up. Maybe below the, it may be below the level that, you know, where the EPA has got to get involved. So it's just kind of a play. It's always a good idea. I ha- there's sometimes, and I've bought some here recently where I didn't do it, but there's a reason why I didn't do it. And I can't talk about it like today, but yeah. there's, there's some things I'm doing and I'm okay with it. You know, if it's, if it's something I know the history on and I, you know, and what most states have, I can't talk about every state, but most states have a fund set up. If there was an issue that they'll take care of it. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm like, my exposure is going to be limited to $10,000 deductible and all my paperwork's in order, I'm okay with it. What's the dirty secret on unleaded versus premium? Oh, geez. I, here's the deal on that. Okay. Put what your car asks for. Okay. Yeah. If your car, you know, if your car only calls for 87, then put 87 in it. And what's 87? What is that number? Uh, octane. Okay. Yeah. And so then the 93 is the 93 octane. So like. Your car calls for 93. I'm putting 93 in it. Do you own any trucking gas stations? I don't. That's yeah. kind of a different animal altogether. Truck stops and gas stations, while it's a, it may seem very similar on the outside, it's different. There's a whole different network, you know, trying to get contracts with the big, like Swift or JB Hunt or Yellow, whoever. If you're trying to, you got to, they usually have salesmen able to get them to come to their locations like Pilot Loves or whatever. All right. We're going to end on video poker. How good of a business is this? It's unbelievable. Still to this day? It's unbelievable. Why? Just because people the are money gambling at it? So I don't know. Every state is different. Some states allow it. Some don't. Where we're at, the Georgia lottery uh, regulates it. Okay. And what they have it set up is it's they get f- the first 5% and then you split the other. And so you can go out and buy a couple of those machines for, you know, seven, eight thousand, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a piece. I know of locations that make hundred, two hundred thousand a month. God dang! Do you need a license to have them? Yeah. So just the license. This is probably the biggest mistake that I ever made. Like, but they're the biggest. Probably the biggest mistake I ever made is I had that license, and so they only issue a certain amount of those licenses in in Georgia anyway. And you're called a master license, and that license alone is is trading. I had one. I sold mine for $60,000 because, again, I, I had tuition to pay. And uh, I sold it for $60,000. It's worth about $4 million a day with no revenue, just the license alone. And they're really not probably handing out a ton more. That's they, why it's I, I think the lottery, like the one or one or two a year, that's it. If somebody wins, gets the royal flush or something, uh-huh. who bears the risk of the big payout? Is it the lottery system or is it the store owner? Well, you're, they're going to be only $1,000, $2,000 payouts. Oh, it? pay. It's small oh, money. Okay. And so, you know, the winnings aren't that great. And so what you do is the, you're not supposed to pay cash. And you're, that's what the rule says. But the guys who are trading at those 102000 it doesn't, they can't, it, it's hard for me to be convinced that they're giving them gift certificates and, and making a hundred to $200,000 a month. All right, Chris. 
This was awesome. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Fort Podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform or hop on over to YouTube to watch full video episodes if that's what you prefer. For more information, you can check out thefortpod.com. 